podcast time, everybody. So I was in high school and a girl who I was kind of seeing at the time, uh, long story for another day for that <laughs> one, uh, we were doing a production for Into the Woods. Now, I am not a huge fan of a lot of the different productions, but I love the mechanics mm -hmm. behind it, you know? So as far as for like, you know, stage crew and you know, dress all in black and move stuff around, nobody really knows who you are, but things just move in the next scene. And there's something, it's like reading a book versus reading something on your phone. Mm. or or your Kindle or your tablet. And it was nice, you know, but I had also a very good singer-songwriter friend of mine who he was so loud they would not mic him because he he would overpower everybody else who was on... Oh, it was crazy. It was crazy. So he's just as high octane as you could be. He did his own recordings when they had him in the studio. They literally had the microphone to the wall in the sound booth because he was just, and they turned it all the inputs all the way down. He was carrying, he was just, he's loud. He's very, very loud. Great guy, full of energy. When I see him, I shut up because it's just like, dude, you got too much energy for all of us, you know, <laughs> but, um, super talented dude, but it is a, it is a crap ton of work, you know, that people just really, they don't understand just how much work goes into it. And, and film, I mean, yes, you get that precision factor. You make everything sound perfect and do that. But sometimes you're sick. You have a fever. You're going to take some aspirin or ibuprofen and you got to go out and sing your behind off and dance around and do whatever. And it still look perfect because everybody still paid for their tickets. You can't say, oh, well, our lead, you know, our, our lead actor's not feeling too well. Sorry, you know, 500 people, thousand people that came to see the show. Yeah, I liked it. It's good. You know, it's funny that you mention the kind of moving pieces behind the scenes for theater, because that's often what I see a lot of filmmakers doing. You know, a lot of the time they are like replicating current trends or they see someone doing something and think, oh, I'll do it that way but they don't get to see the behind the scenes of it. And that's usually when they end up getting stuck and not making any progress. Um, you know, and like, it really is about all of those moving pieces. I tend to call it like a system of systems because you need, you know, your creative system to come up with new ideas. You need your marketing system to make sure you're growing your own audience. And, you know, all of these systems need to happen at the same time. And again, this is where a lot of filmmakers don't always manage this particularly well because they'll spend however many months developing an idea and then suddenly realize that they were meant to be posting to Instagram and forgot all about it and all of this stuff. You know, I was on a call with someone the other day and she really put it so well when she said, I went back to my notebooks after that masterclass series because I was so excited about all of these ideas that I'd had. And I went back and checked the date for these ideas, 2016. Wow. And I have not done anything with them since because something else always got in the way. And this is really my whole, like, this. that's the whole foundation of one of my businesses, you know? It's right. that inability to not be able to move things forward because you had to take the bins out and then your phone rang and then it's the weekend and, you know, it's cut to four years later. And I'm tired, and then I do this, and then all of a sudden, yes, I'm, you know, 50 yeah. years old, and I've done nothing with my life. Yeah. 
it's the cats in the cradle all over again you know as far as to that uh, that story you you know who harry chapman is right the cats in the cradle song mm-hmm. so my if you look this up so he i'm originally from the hudson valley area in new york my father knew and was good friends with harry chapman and um, yeah, I don't really talk too much about my family because it's not <clears throat> something I'm a huge fan of, not really connected, but he knew a lot of real, he knew the, the guy who did the voice of Sebastian in The Little Mermaid, also has pictures. Aww. This is a classic example of films that I love. I personally loved The Little Mermaid too, and everyone else hated it. <laughs> I mean, you know what it is? Because it's, it's the same reason why the Matrix and then the Matrix sequels got as much as they did because people, when you look at The Little Mermaid and the same thing with uh, a couple of other Disney films, like for example, Aladdin. Aladdin was a polished masterpiece. Return of Jafar uh, was really iconic that, uh, you know, Robin Williams' voice was missing. I think it was okay, but the music was way off. It just didn't have the same punch and polish. And then they tried to do, you know, something nicer with three but it was just kind of like there there was the expectation the matrix if you look at two and three they're different movies they're completely different movies than what the first matrix was Mm -hmm. so a lot of people including myself were disappointed when they first saw it but you have to see it more as a dance and something that's a little bit more transcendent than what the original matrix was it's not even the same film tonality wise. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it's a different meaning. And, and if you go in knowing that, uh, like we were talking about Tarantino, if you go in expecting a Tarantino film and then you get something that is just completely not the norm for Tarantino, you go, what did I just watch? Mm. What am I, you know, it, it, it's, there's, they've done the same thing with the star Wars films recently where they are so thematically different and bad I'm sorry. It's just they—they they are not. When you talk about a good story, I have never. So, so this is this is very true. I have never fallen asleep in any movie that I've ever gone to watch. And I, there's a lot that I wanted to go. The Avengers movies, all even if they are bad movies. I saw Justice League, or no, I didn't see Justice League. I knew it was going to be bad. Batman versus Superman. I I I saw that it was cut a different way. I said, oh, there might be some hope. I've never been so angry at a movie in my life, um, I fell asleep during, uh, I didn't see the third one yet. There was the first episode, what are we at? Seven, eight, nine, I think it is. I saw seven. I felt like I was on a Disney ride for just like, oh, and this is the Millennium Falcon. Wee. Oh, and they brought back Hansel and oh, I just, it literally didn't feel like a movie. It felt like a cash grab for, you know, folks that had seen the older movies and were just, we're, we're doing a, a repeat of what the original New Hope story was. It was going beat for beat, uh, something safe. So we talk about, you know, profitable and safe. But I fell asleep 30 minutes in between um, whatever this, I don't even remember the second name of the movie uh, the, the was. That's how bad it was. And I watched it and I wanted to like it. I wanted to like it. And it's just, it wasn't there. It just didn't have the heart. It didn't have the characters. I, I, I felt... It just was lacking something that bored me. And there was uh, the scene that I remember specifically was they were Finn and and I'm sorry, I don't remember the Asian character girl's name, but she was just sort of thrown in there. You know, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I don't like. I just. I feel. I feel that they were trying to shoehorn in. Uh, you know, online they call it a Peggy Sue, but I just. I don't understand why it was there and for what reason. But they showed up on some planet, and it was some like animal cruelty thing, and they were trying to. I, that's like what I vaguely. Remember. I fell asleep right there, like right there. Amazing. And it just. It had nothing to do with the movie. It didn't push the story along at all. I don't know why it was left in as an editor. That's 30 minutes less of the movie, you know. And the only reason why I woke up is because right after that, there's some sort of like space fight scene or something that was like, you know, some sort of explosion. Like, oh, okay, back to the movie again, you know. And it's sad. It's really sad that that's that's what it takes. But I'm very unimpressed with a lot of the new story that's there. Yeah. Well, the reason is a lot of the studios, and I had a chat with, I probably shouldn't say who it is, um, but I had a chat with a company. They are a very big development company and distri uh, distribution company in the UK. And they're also, you know, huge in the US as well, um, okay. like the studio level. And I had a chat with them. You know, I, I, <laughs> I thought I was meeting the head of acquisitions and I thought it was going to be like 15 minute coffee, you know, her between meetings and stuff. But no, I got to go to the big shiny offices. I got to sit in there for an hour and chat away to her. But she was telling me about her boss, who was the head of development, and how he doesn't <laughs> like to spend a huge amount of time in development with ideas so he wants things to come to him fully formed and you know at the moment he's really enjoying remakes because he can just go and watch the previous film and uh. it was just like okay so they want to make remakes obviously because you know that's a lot less time in development sure understandable but you know it's also kind of you know an inbuilt audience and kind of that track record is there as well but it was just, i came out of that was a little bit like mm, okay okay and then i was talking to another producer who had taken his film to that company and had spoken to that guy about it you know the film was about a load of middle-aged men and the head of development said, okay, so I think the only way we could really get behind this is if we cast Jamie Dornan in the role. And it's like, oh, you so missed the mark on this, haven't you? You want, <laughs> you want Jamie Dornan to play this like 50 something middle-aged spread guy. Okay, nah, thank you. At what point <laughs> did you fall asleep during this during this pitch meeting? What, what, what happened? Where did we drop the ball here? That is not even close to what we have in the story. Th thank you. Thank you for completely wasting my time. Yeah, it's, it's just, I, ugh, I mean, don't get me started. We, it's like 10 years of, of that type of let's do a reboot because it's easy. And then you completely ruin the fan base for what it stood for, or it's for profitability. You do the fantastic four. They held on to that right for the, for those rights just to have them. And then they, they, they did, I thought the original uh, one that they had done with um, Chris Evans as John, well, the, the, I can't remember the guy's name. It's how far back it is. But, oh, people are going to butcher me right now if, <laughs> if I put this out. But, um, okay, Human Torch. Took me a second here. Thing, Human Torch, Mr. Fantastic, and Invisible Woman. I literally had to think about that for a second. That is bad. I forgot the word spreadsheet earlier on my Facebook Live. I was explaining how, you know, going about contacting producers and stuff. And I said, yeah, so I have this whole list, you know, exec producers, financiers, distributors, how I find these people, why I'm going to them. And I just put them all in a, in a, what is that word? <laughs> I don't mean like a full minute, spreadsheet. <laughs> 
That's okay. That's okay. Well, it's just the thing is, is that that's it upsets me so much that I bury it. So those movies, Jessica Alba was in. She's an eh, you know, Invisible Woman. But for that time, it wasn't really as like laser focused on comic book accuracy and superheroes as it was. The suits look pretty close. I don't, whoever the main character was for Mr. Fantastic and, and Reed Richards. I mean, you know, it was, it was supposed to be like, you know, kind of dopey. You know, that's how the superhero movies were seen. They weren't, they didn't have, you know, uh, Batman Begins, you know, that reboot factor didn't take the precedent. I think a little bit after that is when Spider-Man came out and started to like, you know, really warm people up for that opportunity. But I don't even know why they did the second, you know, they, they did those two Fantastic Four movies. I thought the guy who played uh, Ben Grimm in The Thing, oh man, he was like perfect for the role. He sounded it. He just, he kind of, he was believable. Chris Evans, I mean, that dude is like, he's just like silly putty. He could be anything. You know, I I seen him then. I didn't really take I didn't take him seriously for the role of Captain America when I saw it because I'm like, man, this dude's like he was in Scott Pilgrim, you know, as a jerk. He was in this, he was in that. Like, really him? But when you take a role and you make it your own, I'm like, well, they talked about John Cena being Captain America. They have one of the Kurt Russell's son is now something about Captain. I'm like, eh, I mean, the Falcon, um, and man, and I feel bad. I don't remember the actor's name because I followed him since eight mile. Um, I like him. He's definitely a different take, but he totally put life into the Falcon into like a nothing character. This is like a secondary character. That's a nobody. And now he's more mainstream than Bucky Barnes or the winter soldier is, which is crazy. But Fantastic Four, they redid that movie. They completely changed the story just because. Um, it had nothing to do with nothing. It was, I forced myself to watch it because I, I wanted it to be good. I wanted something about it to be like, okay. And it's just, it didn't fall any comic book accuracy, story, nothing. You know, it's just it was just done to be done. And now that it's back with Marvel, I'm sure that they will find a way to actually do it justice. They did it with Spider-Man. I don't necessarily like the direction that they've taken Spider-Man in this. You know, it's an ultimate Spider-Man. Tony Stark is kind of his father. It's more of an ultimate Spider-Man uh, timeline. I liked just the original Peter Parker, Uncle Ben got murdered, Aunt May type thing. Now, I mean, if they make uh, Aunt May any younger, it's going to be, you know, Pete's sister, you know, in, in high school or something like that. Like, she just gets hotter and hotter and hotter and younger and younger. I'm like, is this really the Aunt May that we're worried about now? Like it feels right for Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Like, even though the story and the awkwardness of the high school factor, you know, of, of what they are placing this in, he's a believable Spider-Man. I feel, you know, unless they give him a little bit too much focal power and stuff like that, make him sort of the face of the new movies, I liked where he was. I liked the mouthiness and will you just shut up? Like that was that was him in the comics. That was him in the cartoon. And just him trying to piece together the technology that he found on the street because he was poor and trying to go to school. It, that credibility factor you had never really seen mm -hmm. until now. I don't like the costume. I don't like the redo. It's too much black. It just doesn't. I know they're trying to make the difference between the other. I mean, this is like the third reboot yeah. for Spider-Man now, but. <laughs> yeah, it was the same with cats. <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing I could get on a soapbox for, it's about how they should have done the cats film. 
I was scared to see how that came. I was like, why? What? What? What is the why? Is it this is not finished, right? Yeah. Like you're just showing us like a like a test, right? This is this is not real. Yeah, it was it was quite entertaining just because my dad is the lighting designer on the stage show. So if there's one show that's burned into my brain from like hours and hours of sitting in rehearsals, it's that show. It is, guys. Yeah. And so since the 80s, they've slowly been kind of changing it. And, you know, they net, like it used to be very, like the whole charm of the show was that it looked quite homemade. Gotcha. The, the back cloth of the stage show was literally a black cloth with LEDs and the moon painted on. Um, oh, wow. I mean, there's more to it than that, and I'm fairly certain my dad made that, so I should probably say there's more to it. <laughs> you know, fundamentally, sorry, Dad. <laughs> what you do is great, but that was one of the simpler pieces. Um, but it was the whole like simplicity of it, you know. And it meant that when you do have these magical moments, they really come through and they really shine. You know, the choreography is one of them. The you know the musicality is another one. Sort of towards the end of the show, Mr. Mistopheles. Uh, one of the characters comes out in this beautiful um, magical jacket that's really just full of LEDs, um, which is another thing that my dad made. You know, it looks so visually striking because it's not competing for attention with the set design or right. the lighting design. Uh, they, you know, since, well, kind of like late 2010s, they've really been changing it up. Beautiful simple back cloth that I adore is no longer there. It's now oh. animated. Oh, clouds on it. Um, the lighting design is completely different. I genuinely had a full-on tantrum. We went into, I'm fairly certain it was at the Palladium or somewhere or other. It's usually at the Palladium. But I was with <laughs> my dad and usually that involves some element of work. And so we go in and I genuinely sulked. <laughs> like full-on two-year-old tantrum. I was just, he was like, what do you think of the new design? I was like, what did you do that for? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody clear this by me. That's it. Somebody's getting fired. Bring it back. Bring back the old stuff. Yeah, no, I... I... Uh, and I was just stood there with my arms folded and, and I go, what is all blue? And it, 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 the thing is, it does kind of look like disco lighting, which I think, you know, is meant to add some kind, kind of... Kind of the point, right. The ambience. I don't know what. But it's that's not what it is. Um, that's not what the show is. And so, you know, when I saw this whole kind of complex disco-y blue-based lighting, I was just like, why is it all blue? They're in a junkyard. They're not underwater. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, and that one's in the wrong place. And because um, it's a symmetrical design, and so I could see that one of the lanterns they'd rigged was uh, out of place. Okay. And so I went, oh, yeah, I nice that. And um, went down to go and fix it. That's a stellar impression of my dad for anyone that doesn't know him. You know, someone was like, how did you know? Something? Like, have you seen this design? And I was like, no, it just looks stupid. <laughs> This so is, this is when you know and Charlotte has seen Catch. It's, one it's been about five years. I'm still obsessed. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, we're so, gonna put the cats yeah, down. Yeah. We're gonna put it over there. We're gonna walk <laughs> carefully away from the cats now. Well, it was just you know. I think if anything, it actually helped that letdown because as soon as the film came out, I was just like, you were prepared. Yeah, 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 and it, it was really weird because I, you know, when I did work experience at Alice and Aaron's production company, she was developing Cats, and her company works very closely with Working Title, who is like the big, you know, UK 
studio equivalent, I guess, production company. And so what often happens is she develops these projects and then hands them over to Working Title and they kind of take them and get them through pre-production and all of that fun stuff. Um, and so I, you know, I got to read the script when I was, I don't think I was meant to, but I got to anyway, it was on the computer. Um, <laughs> so I got to read the script, for, you know, one of like the early, early drafts. And I was just like, <laughs> Me, I hope this changes. And I was like, it's still early development stage. It'll it'll get better. It did not. Yeah. And then a year later, I was doing work experience of working title and they were developing cats and they had Taylor Swift coming in for meetings and all of this stuff. And so when my dad phoned me up and was like, look, we've got tickets to the UK gala screening. <laughs> we have to go and see it. <laughs> Oh, no. So, in a way, it felt kind of nice to be, you know, some of the first people in the UK to see it after that, like, roundabout, you know, following it all around the town kind of thing. But equally, you could just tell they had not done it properly. Uh... Simply because, like, this, the gala screening, you couldn't call it a premiere, was done the day before the film was released. And, you know, they also scheduled the critic screenings on the same day as one of the Star Wars films. Apparently, the reason for doing that was because they were also like gunning for the female demographic. Um, why? I'm not 100% sure. I feel like if they know something, not, like it's a really simplistic viewpoint, but I feel like if they know something's not going to be a blockbuster, then they're just like, yeah, pivot it to the female demographic. Well, I mean, you know, and again, that's what we were talking about earlier about whether it's going to be profitable or something that is an artistic piece, but. When it's just an abandoned piece like that that you know is not going to do well intentionally, mm -hmm. you, you try to see some pivots. I mean, the the most recent success that I've seen were a movie that I knew was going to be bad and people knew enough about it that were like, no, was the Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> movie that came out when they showed that the, somebody released like a, not a trailer, but it was like a screenshot of what the artwork was going to look like for the posters and stuff. And they yeah. looked at what, how human-esque it was. It's like, dude, it's Sonic the Hedgehog. How do you, it's yeah. there. There's 3D, why? why? And then they released a trailer. The music was wrong. The editing was poor. Sonic looked horrific. And everybody went to the internet and was like, yeah, no. No, no, no. And then, he, I mean, this is the first time ever that a studio went, oh, oh, oh no, okay, all right, we, we, we hear you, we got it, we'll, sorry, we'll fix it. And then actually went in and fixed it. And I haven't seen the movie. I mean, it's one of those throwaway, like, Detective Pikachu-type movies. It's not, I got to be there first day with popcorn. But, I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog looks a lot more, it just, it was ugly to look at before. Like the Ninja Turtles, they redid them and like, why? I'm afraid to look at them. I grew up with Ninja Turtles. Why, why did you yeah. do this? But now you see Sonic and it's like, yes. So people are now afraid that, you know, fans are going to have a little more control over the type of content that is produced and released. But I mean, isn't that kind of the whole point? That's who's going to go see the movie. Well, I, actually, there's a really great book. I don't know if you've read it called New Power. If you haven't, you'd love it. Um, I'd say you could borrow it, but considering we're in different countries, you know, that's kind of difficult. Um, you could ship it out and fax it to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll get it in three weeks' time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's about, you know, this whole kind of shift between the way that everyone relates to the world now. Um, a really great example is, um, it's not a happy example, but it's ISIS. 
and Oof. there was a girl from Bethnal Green who went out to Syria um, on purpose. This was her whole, like, she just wanted to join ISIS. And so she recruited more women to come out and be wives or whatever it is that they do. Right. I don't have a particularly strong interest, as you can tell. Um, but the way that she recruited that was by real, like, sideways marketing she'd put out like tweets or facebook posts saying like if i you know if I, there was one thing i wish i'd known it'd be to bring more coconut oil because it's so dry here and i need it for my hair you know it's those <laughs> tiny little things you know like a year later three more girls from bethnal green go out to syria because they've been reading her facebook posts or what it was you know and they are they feel like they have a friend out there and so when the government came to putting out this like anti-isis whatever um, it was so like top heavy, you know, it was talking at people and it was literally just like, don't join ISIS. <laughs> you know? And when you think about like, that's the really old power method of marketing where big corporations, big faceless corporations just talk at people in large groups. Whereas right. big power is so about that simple connection and making you really engage with it. You know, like the ice bucket challenge, that's a classic new power staple where you create something that's malleable enough that people can put their own stamp on it, but they feel compelled to engage in it. And on the one hand, I do understand like big studios kind of freaking out, but equally, I don't think it's a particularly bad thing. You know, there are plenty of horror stories from studios and I think a lot of the time they can be relatively out of touch because they're just focused on that formulaic plan. So. Well, and it's it's just it's a difference between having a conversation with your fans and the fan base and those that are going to pay money to actually see the the movie or the content versus a instruction or a lecture. You know, we're talking about that top level, you know, speaking down to or speaking at rather than speaking with. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you know obviously the internet is a place to complain for most people, and they're just going to hate everything <laughs> anyway because it's easy to hate. But I mean, there's times when they're right. You know, Ninja Turtles were ugly. There was no reason to make them look like Shrek lizards. There was no, somebody, I, I, if you go online and, and it, you know, if you take a look, um, there was a, and I believe it's a, it might've been a British home. Hey, don't pin this on me. <laughs> protection. No, no, this is good. This is actually a good thing. Oh, um, Carry on then. It is. It is a it is a commercial for like a home services type thing that there was like a break in or something like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the turtles was like sort of out for work. He's doing some side work, Donatello, and he got the call. So he's now like a like a 1099 contractor, you know, for for assistance for people. And they do this whole thing, man, is CG and he's going down the sewer and a skateboard and he's doing the ninja thing on the roof and he windows open, he rolls in and then he realizes it's like some sort of plumbing thing that he was getting a, a call for. And they had already, somebody else had already showed up to get the work. He's like, sorry, man, they, you know, they called me first. I'm just about done. And he's like, oh man, really? And the family was like downstairs having dinner and they heard the bum, bum, bum. So they came up and he's just, Donnie's just walking down the stairs, walking out the front door. And they're like, wait a minute, there's a full grown Ninja Turtle in my house walking down my steps out the thing and the pizza guy apparently was just walking by so donatello just picked up the pie and helped himself you know this was like a whole thing and it was so much it had so much more heart they looked so donatello looked so much better and it felt more like a ninja turtle-esque experience 
than whatever that I've seen, you know, on and off for the other two movies that they've tried to produce. I was like, and there, you see the comments, we were like, that, just do that, but in the movie, like how, they look good. Like, oh, they were, it was great, but it was a commercial, you know, and it was like, it had a little bit of dodgy CG. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent perfect, but I mean, head and shoulders better than what was yeah. there. And that's the thing, you have the ability to go, you know, now to have that conversation, to have that insight. I'm not saying everybody's right. I'm not saying that, you know, hearing the complaining factor is helpful for everybody. But it is a healthy dialogue to have some, some real yeah, feedback. Yeah, it's the same thing with scripts, you know, or just an idea. If you're getting the same feedback from more than five people, then you know that you need to go in and, like, change something. Do some adjustments, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is nice. Let's carry on doing this. <laughs> Let's just keep doing this for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, we could. Well, the funny thing is, was aside from the ISIS factor, I just I thought that this was going to be some good content, so I just clicked record like 25 minutes ago. So, I know. I noticed it popped back up again. Yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to be sneaky about it, but I just was like, <laughs> no, I was like, I know. you know what? This is a good. This is good conversation. I will probably do this as like a bonus episode. Do it.